Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. into the message tonight. I'm wondering, have you ever made a barn find? Do you know what that is? It's where you find something of incredible value that's been hidden in a barn for lots and lots of years. You know, it's like that legendary story that comes up every once in a while. It's, it's like the story of the family of Dr. Harold Carr, who was in Newcastle, England where apparently in the early 1960s, Dr. Carr parked his 1937 Bugatti-type 57S Adelante Coupe, say that one time fast, let alone five. He parked it in his garage. There were only 17 of these cars ever made. Its only modification is that it had a slight paint job. After the original paint job, there was less than 27,000 miles. He parked it in the early 60s and never drove it out of the garage again. He passed in 2007. His family had no idea that this car was there. Sometime after he passed, the family discovered as they were working through the details of the estate that he had willed the garage to the family. They didn't think a whole lot of it, but eventually a nephew goes to check on the garage and discovers this car that we have on the screen. This is that 1937 Bugatti. He suspected when he found it that it might be worth something. But he had no idea that it was going to sell for $4.4 million. (laughs) Right? He, He was interviewed, and of course, he said, we can't believe it. And was quick to say, of course, we're delighted, and we're going to make sure the money is shared out among the family. And his understatement of the century, it's a wonderful thing to leave. Wonderful indeed. And he had left it to them, but they didn't know they had it. It was theirs. They possessed it by will, but they didn't really know the value of the thing that they had. This is what it can be like with faith. This is what it can be like for the followers of Jesus. We can own our faith. We can believe. We can have it but we may not really grasp the true value. And so that's what we're going to jump into tonight. We're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 1. And if you want, you can follow along on the screen. But let's listen. As God's word, he promises to speak to us that his word will not return void. Whatever it is you're walking through, this is a word for you this evening. And so let's hear from him together. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And let's pray as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, grateful that you know the details of our lives, you know what we're living through, you know the joy, you know the burdens. We're grateful that you are not a God who is indifferent, you are not a God who is uninvolved, but that you, you speak and you act. And so Lord, in these moments, we want to hear from you, and we want to know you more. And so, Lord, in this time, by your Holy Spirit, will you teach us, will you guide us, will you shape us, that we can know the incredible riches which you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So most of this passage is Paul's, one of Paul's incredible prayers for the churches. And it's just so amazing and a good thing to, to study and consider the way that prayer happens in the scripture. We can be taught by it. We can be encouraged by it. We can find that we're the ones that were being prayed for years and years and years ago. And when we look at Paul's prayer here... It's just, it's an amazing prayer, but one thing stands out right up front. It doesn't sound like a lot of prayers that I pray. I don't know if it sounds like the prayers that you pray much of the time. There's not really a request for God to change any particular circumstance. There's not a request to alleviate any particular ailment or trial or suffering, and it's not because the Ephesian church was without any. But Paul is so much more concerned about the greater things. He's so much more concerned about how they're going to engage life in relationship to God because he knows that everything else is going to find its place if that gets right. And so he prays that God would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know God better. Right? They have this relationship with God. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love for God. And he's heard about how they're even living out that love by loving other people. And so he knows that they have a real and active faith. And even still, they can know God better. And I just think this is so important for us to always remember. Whether you've been walking with God for a day or many, many days, and you can decide which that is for you, we can always know him better. There's always more. 
If you think about your best friends, you think about your spouse, you think about those people that you've had relationship over years and years and years, have you continued to know them more fully? I think you probably have, because if not, you'd just be bored with them and you wouldn't really want to spend time with them anymore. Right? There, there's always more. There's more layers. There's more understanding. There's more backstory. There's more to a person. The, the layers of the onion of each and every person are incredible. And we're just finite creatures, let alone the infinite God. Okay, let's just take a moment and count to infinity, and that will help us wrap our head around the layers of God. Ready? Go. It's like the, the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, but like on ultra steroids, right? It never ends. You can know God better. And so Paul is praying that we would know him more and more fully. And the reality is he's praying that God would help us know him. Because just like anybody else in your life, we need God to show himself to us. We need God to reveal himself. We need God to share more of himself. We need God to tell his backstory. We need God to share his character. And so do you pray that you could know him more? It's asking for him to do what he wants to do. But he wants to reveal who he is. And so in the process of doing that, Paul's also praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I mean, it's such an, a, an amazing phrase that has a lot of different kinds of meaning and connotation, probably can't even pin it down to an exact meaning, but, but we tend to think that heart is all about the feelings, right? We think that, oh, I love them with all of my heart is all about this emotional response. Well, throughout the scripture, the understanding of the heart is about, yes, the emotions, but it's connected to the will, it's connected to the motivations, the desires, the drives. It's the center of the person. And so the heart is so much more than just this affection. And so he's saying that the core of yourself, your inmost being, the eyes of that would be opened, which is just so interesting, isn't it? Because the opposite of that is what? Closed. Yeah, you're good. Okay, we we can interact here. It's okay. And so he's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be opened. And so that must mean to some degree they're closed. So to some degree, their desires and motivations, the center of their being is not fully illuminated or aware of what he's about to pray about. Which, again, these are, these are Christians. These are people who know the Lord, who love the Lord, who believe, who even live out their faith. There's more for them. And so he's praying that the core of their inmost being, the eyes would be open so that they may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance is in his people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Know the hope he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so, what's the hope? If we just start there, what is the hope to which he has called you? What is that hope that we hold on to? Do you have a hope? I mean, the Christmas season, I think, is all about hope, isn't it? 
We're grasping onto hope that maybe in the midst of this chaotic, falling apart kind of world, that just if not for a moment, we can have some sort of joy and peace and love and light that would shine through, that if we can just somehow, this is not just the, the perspective of those who have faith, this is the perspective of our entire culture, that somehow this season represents a hope for more. A hope that the way things are today is not the way things have to be. Now, we have a particular hope that getting to that place is not up to us, and that's ultimately what our hope is about, the hope that he's called us to, is a hope that if you read at the beginning of this chapter what we, what we skipped over, but he says, for this reason, well, the, for this reason is Paul's uh, going on about and elaborating on the reality that we in Christ have been predestined. Now, I'm going to say that word, and some of you, your brains already took off, and you went to left field, and you've already started thinking about all the reasons this is problematic, and that's fine. There's a long conversation to have about that. But I want to invite you to come back. Welcome back. Because at the heart of this idea is the reality of a God who would choose us. Just think about that for a second. This is what Psalm 100 was talking about that was read earlier for us. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. None of us chose to make ourselves. He chose to make us. We exist. We have, we have life because it was his joy and delight to give you life. He who made us and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. That we would be cared about, that we would be provided for, that we would be protected, that we would be loved, that we would be cherished, that we would be valued, all of these things, this reality, that that was God's choice for you. <laughs> There's an incredible hope in that. Because he chose to do all of those things for you before you and I ever thought to choose him. This is why we baptize babies. Because God was pursuing them before we pursue him. That it was his choice to be in relationship with us as humans. That's the reason that we have hope. That he chose us, not that we chose him. Which is so good because my choices flip-flop sometimes. I don't know about yours. Like I'm feeling this way one day. I'm feeling that way the next day. And so... If this hope that we have for an eternity, that yes, it can be better than it is today, is not rooted in my ability to choose God, but God's ability to choose me, it is a much more firm hope. Because God doesn't change. It's his choice. If you want to have a, one of those longer philosophical conversations about predestination later, let's, you can, we can do that. But the hope to which we are called is a hope <laughs> that says God chooses relationship with us. And he's going to make it happen. And, and so Paul is praying that we would, we would have the eyes of our hearts open to that. In other words, that we'd get it. That you don't have to work to make God choose you. You don't have to work to make God love you. He already did that and proved that. That Paul says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, it wasn't because we were great and good that we would prove, hey, God, I'm lovable. It's no, we were enemies with him, and yet he loved us. 
And so that's, the reason our eyes of our heart have to be opened is because that's actually hard to receive, isn't it? How would you do if tonight, you know, maybe a total stranger, maybe distant relative, maybe a good friend of yours came over to your house and just dropped a million dollars on the table and said, here, this is for you. Okay, maybe that's just too much to even wrap your head around. Maybe just a thousand dollars. Would you come up with all the reasons why you just shouldn't accept it? Would you come up with all the reasons why that's totally uncomfortable? Like, you don't deserve this. This is like, I feel weird about this. This, you know, now I'm going to owe you a debt I can't pay. And this is, you know, we don't actually receive the gift of grace very well. This is why the eyes of our heart have to actually be opened so that we'll stop rejecting the gift, the hope to which you were called. The eyes of our heart have to be opened. Paul is praying that we would also know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Who's the his in that sentence? Who's he talking about? Well, it's actually his glorious inheritance in his people. So he's not talking about our inheritance. He's talking about God's inheritance. He's, saying that the eyes, he's praying that the eyes of our hearts would be open to the glorious inheritance of God. Wait, I thought God made everything. I thought he owned everything. So what's God's inheritance? It's you. It's me. Psalm, 130, Psalm 33, 12 said this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance, for his possession, for his eternal delight. Yeah, hard to believe that when God thinks about the long-term plan, like his inheritance, like what he's going to settle in with in the long run, it's you. And it's good. And you're good. In Jesus Christ, he has made you his glorious inheritance to be enjoyed forever. Well, man, this is why Paul's saying, yeah, so you also need to have the eyes of your heart Opened so that you may know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Because we need some power now if we're going to actually understand these things. What's the greatest power you've ever experienced? You start thinking about it. I mean, certainly my mind goes to like natural events like thunderstorms that I've been in, or maybe you've been in an earthquake or a hurricane. Superstorm Sandy rolled through here. I mean, that was a pretty incredible amount of power. You know, I think about eight-foot snowstorms growing up in Colorado. You think about meteors, black holes, supernovas. We start thinking about power that's incredible. And, and Paul's saying the incomparably great power of God. Like all of those things, those are powerful compared to us who are finite and small and fragile, us humans. But compared to the power of God, those things are nothing. So he's praying that all oh, this power, this resurrection power, that's what this power is. It's the same power that God unleashed through Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's power. And that's the reversal of everything that we see as final and the end. If, it, if that's the power that can reverse that, that's a power that can do anything. 
And so it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father, far above, Paul says, every rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that can be invoked in this age or the age to come. I mean, this is power. So with that kind of power, Paul said, it's available in you. It's available to you. Because it's the incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul is expecting that the resurrection power of God will be alive and active in us. With that kind of power, why do we shrink? Why do we shrivel? Why do we struggle? Why do we whine? Why do we complain? Why does the darkness feel like it's going to overwhelm and consume us at times? Because the power is there. <laughs> that we possess it, but I don't think we really grasp it. It's in the garage. It's waiting to be brought out. It's waiting to be experienced. It's waiting to be unleashed in us. But how is the power of God unleashed in us? It's unleashed in us who believe, first of all, who really believe. And, and this presses on us because when we start pressing in, do we really believe, it's pushing us back to where's our real hope. It pushes us back to, do we continue to strive after this relationship with God as if it's based on our effort and our goodness and our righteousness and our ability to check the right boxes and to behave well enough. And when we are doing it good, we feel good about the relationship. When we're doing it bad, we feel bad about the relationship. Is it based on us? If you go up and down with your daily performance, then maybe you don't believe. Because it's really about belief that God has truly done for you in Jesus Christ what you could never do for yourself. That he really has taken on all of your failure and your sin and your insecurity and your, your darkness and brokenness so that he could bring you into his relationship, claim you as his own, make you his people, love you as his inheritance, protect you as a sheep. It starts there. We've got to believe, but maybe you do believe, so where's the power? I'm going to say, I think the power is released in us when we are firmly in him. I love Christmas, and I love Christmas lights. Like, I can sit in the family room and just stare at our Christmas tree for hours if I had the time. I love just kind of squinting even to make the tree disappear and just kind of see all the lights there. And, and so yesterday was the annual battle to preserve as many strings of Christmas lights as possible. And so, you know, have to test all the bulbs and have to pull the bad ones out. And when there's that section of the string that's dead, you got to figure out, okay, which one or how many of them. And, you know, don't want to have to go back to the store and buy more, though I broke down last night and did eventually buy some, full confession. But what's the first step to testing all of these light strings? You got to plug it in. You can just sit there and, well... Hmm. I think it looks good, but you don't really know. And I know it's silly, and I know it's simple, but the power is in the wall, isn't it? It's not in the string. Oh, until it's in the string, right? Because everybody who, who's seen Na National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation knows that when the cat bites the 
like it, the power's in the light string. But only because it's plugged into the source. Only because it's plugged into the wall. The power is in the Christmas light when it's plugged into the wall. The power is available, but you have to plug in. The beauty is released. The power is released when you plug in. And we plug in as we know him more, as we intently seek him as we seek to be in a relationship with him, but then yet ultimately as we surrender to him. Surrender to him. See, I think sometimes we kind of fight against the power. Or we try to channel the power in the direction that we want the power to go. Rather than getting into the flow of the power. And the thing is that the power is available in him, and so it's released in us when we are in him, but there's a whole lot of other powers that are seeking to have us be in them. I mean, Paul is very aware of this as he's writing to the Ephesians who are kind of power-obsessed. Ephesus was a very powerful city. It was a powerful city in the Roman Empire, so it had social and civic power, but it was also a very religious center of power as well the temple of the goddess Artemis. And so there was this, this uh, ferocious kind of worship at one point in the book of Acts that they rise up to defend the honor of their goddess. And, and there's, they're associated with much of the worship among these other gods, these pagan gods, were truly displays of what we would understand as magical power, spiritual power. And so the Ephesian people were steeped in power, they understood that there was power all around. And it's not just kind of innocuous power, innocent power. These powers are seeking dominion, to rule and to conquer. These powers at work in our world want our allegiance, want us to bend our knee. And that power takes a lot of different forms. It's the power of stuff. I mean, this is so potent in the Christmas season. Right, this messaging that says, we've got to get it, we've got to have it, it's got to be new and shiny and pretty. And if we do, then life is unleashed, right? It's good, finally. So the promise is, get the stuff, you're plugging into power. And we, get, we can keep going into all sorts of other places. I mean, we, we've got a political system right now that's demanding a, a need to be bowed. It's promising power, but it's also going to demand dominion over us and rule and reign. We've got all sorts of forces that are at work in our lives and the world for, you know, that are saying, this is what's going to unleash the fullness of life for you. And so it's the promises of, of beauty and youth and security and peace This is why Paul is praying that we could know the power, the incomparably great power of God for us. Because there are powers at work demanding your attention. If they can't have your full loyalty, they'll take your distraction. And so we are invited to plug into this power of God by knowing him more deeply and then surrendering to him and not allowing these other things that are pressing in us on us to demand our allegiance and loyalty. There's a story of a lifeguard 
who was on duty, and he saw out in the water a man in trouble. And so he dives into the water and goes out to where the man is. And he, as he approaches the man, he stops a few feet away and just starts to assess the situation. And he realizes that this is a really, a really large man. And he also realizes that this man is panicking. And so he doesn't want to get pulled in and get pulled under the water. And so he's considering this problem. Watching this man in his fear be, continue to flail and swing wildly and continue to, to pant and, and get himself drained and exhausted of energy. All the while, the lifeguard decides to just continue to tread water at a short distance away. Just treading water, treading water. Waiting for the man to, to stop trying to save himself. Because he knew, the lifeguard knew, that first of all, this man isn't going to be able to save himself. Certainly, he wouldn't be able to save himself as long as the man was going to continue to rely on his own methods, depend upon his own strength, and rely on his own ability. Yes, he's crying out for help, but his action, his behavior is contradicting the very cry because he's still focused on saving himself. Well, finally, the man's energy leaves him. He has no fight left. And so when he had stopped, the lifeguard is finally able to move in, circles around behind the man, scoops him up, the way lifeguards do. I don't exactly know all the techniques. Able to get the man's body to float using the water for buoyancy and is able to then swim him to shore. Yeah, even though the man was large, the rescue was totally possible because when he finally let go and surrendered, he was resting in the strength of the one who saved him. Right? This is the invitation. To plug into the power of God is to rest not in our own ability, our own methods, our own understanding, but instead to rest in the one who came to save us to bow our knee and surrender our will and our life, to allow the power of God who raised our King Jesus from the dead to be unleashed in our lives. And are we going to suddenly be able to you know, do magic tricks and things like that? I think that's what we start thinking of when we think of power. Maybe God can do whatever he wants through us when we surrender genuinely, when we give him our will. We saw that as we celebrated last week as a part of our go and serve together. The Holy Spirit's power on display, working in us as we surrendered and gave over control to him, speaking to us, leading us, guiding us, providing what we need. As we surrender to his will, he's going to do what he wants through us. He's going to do things beyond what we would probably plan for ourselves, beyond what we might settle for on our own. And so our, my pray for you as I pray for me as Paul prayed for us that the eyes of our hearts would be opened. That we would know the hope to which we are called and the glorious riches of his inheritance which is in his own people. And that we would know the incomparably great power of God in us who believe. Because we're going to need this power for this season to get through the Christmas season, for some, I know this is an exhausting, stressful, overwhelming season. But through this season and beyond. 
as he will lead us as his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that there's a lot of things that we struggle to really fully grasp and understand. A lot of things that we hold on to of our own understanding, our, our own priorities, our own will. So Lord, in this moment, we confess that we don't surrender well. We don't receive your gift of grace and your hope well. We keep thrashing about on our own terms and and we find ourselves caught up with other powers, other would-be kings and rulers and authorities over us. So Lord, in this moment, we open the eyes of our hearts that we would know the hope to which you've called us, that we would understand that we are your delight and your glorious inheritance, that it is your pleasure to be in relationship with us, that you have chosen us before we chose you. And may we plug into you, knowing you more deeply, trusting you more fully, surrendering more completely, that your power could be unleashed in our lives and through our lives for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.